Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Jason Daniels with Remax Advantage Realty in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Last year, he closed 102 transactions with a total sales volume of $23 million. His average sales price was $228,000, of which 53% were buyers and 47% were sellers. He operates a team with five members, two buyer specialists, one transaction coordinator office manager, one listing manager, and one team leader. Jason Daniels is the team leader of Jason Daniels & Associates. He has been an agent for 10 years. In this call, Jason talks about specializing in repeat and referrals from past clients and sphere of influence, building, cleaning, and working your database, his monthly postcard marketing campaigns, how to get local restaurants to donate meals for your promotions, annual past client appreciation parties that result in referrals, marketing plan for promoting a past client event, phone scripts for easy follow-up with a purpose, how to get referrals from other agents and builders, team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Jason. Hey, how are you doing? Good, Jason. Great to have you. Jason, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Sure. Before I got into real estate, I was in the construction management industry. I went to Colorado State University and got a degree in construction management. I actually started out framing homes, working my way through school, doing actual the physical part of construction. Graduated with a degree and, and then uh, was promoted into the management side. Did that for a couple of years and really got tired of that and decided I wanted to do something you know, for myself instead of working for somebody else telling me when to punch in, when to punch out. And uh, my father actually is a real estate agent here in Colorado Springs as well. I picked up the phone and called him and said, I want to I wanna do what you do. So I called him and he said, well, uh, you know, sell your house up in the Denver area and uh, move back down to Colorado Springs and I'll teach you the business. So that's, uh, that's how I basically got started. Did you go to work for your dad or with your dad? Did you mentor with him or did you just uh, kind of go out and do it on your own? Well, actually, I did. I started out working with, with my dad, and uh, we, the first year he said, uh, you know, I want you to, to earn your stripes. So he said, I'll teach you. You can share my office space, but I'm not going to give you any business. You need to, you know, hit the street, knock doors, do what it takes, and uh, if, if uh, you're successful for your first year, maybe we can team up and part- do a partnership. So for the first year, I was doing some projects to try and earn some money while I was trying to go through real estate school and get that going. But about June of 2003, my my license was active and I was actually helping my dad with some fix and flip projects. I was actually swinging a hammer for him and uh, 
did a couple of those in the morning and the afternoon. I'd go into the real estate office, make phone calls, uh, enter stuff into my database. Next morning, get up, work on the house. Did that for about that whole summer until I had enough funds to actually uh, just do real estate full-time. And he mentored me. He uh, is quite successful in his own right. In his first year of real estate, he sold 43 homes and run one uh, rookie of the year. So uh, I had a really good mentor to start off with. So did that for about two years. And at that time frame, my brother also uh, wanted to make that same move. And he was in the construction management industry. And then he moved uh, to Colorado Springs. And at that point, I just kind of felt uh, it was time for me to kind of fly on my own. And at that point, I uh, approached my dad and said, hey, I really appreciate all the help you've given. Um, I'd really like to see if I can make a go of it on my own. And at that point, I was also introduced to a, a very high top producer, uh, Brian Macker, who was actually a really good friend of uh, the really good friend of my father. And he was always telling us we needed to team up. And my goals were to expand and grow a team. And my dad decided to, you know, he wanted to stick with my brother. They uh, So they're still in business. I actually have an office right next door to him. And the great thing is uh, my team fills in for their team and their team fills in for our team as needed. And that's kind of how that uh, got started. So two years with my dad and then in about 2005, into 2005, I actually started my own team, which was just myself. Did you say you teamed up with Brian Macker for a while? Well, he was a, another mentor along the path. He would uh, meet with my uh, with my dad and I and give us tips on how to grow a team together. And uh, so I would uh, meet with him a couple times a year just to get some advice. And especially when I decided to go out on my own, I would, you know, my father was still mentoring me. But then I saw uh, Brian Macker, who was an agent in my office, who had a large team, or a mid-sized team, and was very successful, star power star, of course, with Howard Brinton. And he actually got me involved, my father and I involved in the Star Power organization, going to the conferences where I basically learned all the practices or the majority of them that I put into place in my own business. So I give a lot of credit to my father, uh, Brian Daniels, and to Brian Macker, uh, who actually helped launch my career in a lot, you know, a lot faster than it would if I didn't have others to follow. A quick question, going back to when you first got your license and you moved to Colorado Springs, you moved in with your dad, he was mentoring you, but making you start on your own. Did you think you had a fast start or a slow start? Well, you know, my first year I sold 14 homes, and to me, I thought I was doing pretty well, although, uh, you know, there's other agents that in their first year they'd sold more homes, but uh, I didn't have any sales experience. I didn't have you know, a a large sphere of people. I actually, uh, it was interesting because most of the people that I knew, my father knew. So I had to almost start from scratch with, uh, with my database, with, you know, people I knew because a lot of them had already had ties with my, my father. And we had an agreement that, you know, they were his clients. So I basically, it was almost like moving to a new market, even though I knew a a lot of folks here in Colorado Springs. So I I think it was a a fairly good start for a, a rookie agent, but nothing stellar. How long have you been in the business at this point? Last week, I'll be in the business going on 10 years. That's fantastic. Congratulations. How many homes did you sell last year? Last year, my team and I, we sold 102 homes. And do you remember the sales volume? The sales volume is $23.3 million. <laughs> That's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. That was our, our best year. 
and every every year has been our best year, and that's what uh, I'm excited about. Is even when the market was was uh, turning in 2007, 2008, uh, other agents were getting out of the business. Uh, we just kept building upon that like a stair step. Every year was our best year, and that still stands true this year. We're we're far ahead of our goal this year as well. Let's do this. Let's talk about your market. Where is Colorado Springs, Colorado? Colorado Springs, Colorado is located about 60 miles south of Denver, about an hour drive. Do you know what the population is in Colorado Springs? Population in Colorado Springs is about 430,000. My marketplace includes Colorado Springs, Monument, Colorado, Woodland Park, in Fountain, Colorado, and uh, that whole MLS area is uh, just under 600000 Well, describe your current real estate market. Sure. The, the average uh, price right now has increased. We're at about 245000 Average sales price, the median sales price is about $222,000. Uh, days on market's coming down pretty rapidly. Last year, we were at about 105 to 110 days. Uh, citywide now that's come down to about 80 to 85 and with the lower inventory we're seeing you know that's rapidly decreasing so uh, we're starting to see more multiple offer situations the market's starting to heat up in fact if we take a look at the uh, the supply uh, homes priced under 450 are at a three-month supply or lower so we're really seeing a a return here in the market it's uh, just starting to pick up it's not like other markets in the country that are, are super overheated again but we're, we're just starting to see that again, so it's kind of exciting. So does that mean the, you're starting to see the prices go back up? We are. We're, we're actually, I believe, from April to May, we saw in one month a, a 2% increase on the average sales price. When do you recall that that started to turn in your market? Did it happen just this summer? Did it happen maybe six months ago, a year ago? When did the market start to turn? Well, when I go back and look at the numbers, uh, it looks like we started to see some slow recovery about a year ago, and uh, that started to just kind of pick up pace through the end of the year, and it really started to pick up January 1 of this year. Uh, So uh, it's just been a building process, but I would say just signs of the recovery started about uh, July or August of 2012. If you were to look out at your market today, what percentage of the market is REO, short sale, distress sale versus a traditional equity sale? Well, um, I don't have the exact numbers on that, but th- those numbers are going down as well. We're probably seeing less than 15 or 20 percent short sale in REO market. It may be even less than 15 percent, but uh, we're seeing a decline on that, which is a good sign for our market. Do you have a niche or a specialization in your market? I really specialize in working by referral. So I don't really specialize in any geographic area because uh, most of my business comes from referral sources. So we service the whole area. Um, That's probably my number one niche is working by referral. I'd like to build some other niches within the market and I'm going to be launching some strategies to try and capture some other niches in the market. But right now, it's mainly uh, just working with referrals. Let's talk about your past clients, your sphere of influences, this referral database that you're working with and, and how, how you're making that happen. Let's start with the database itself. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? You know, my, my uh, database, um, I've actually pared it down, and I'm down to about 450 good contacts with people I know, past clients. Uh, we have a real transient market a lot of military. We have five military bases here in town. So 
a lot of times when we create a client, they move and they're gone to another state. We may never see them again. I still stay in touch with those clients, but my real core are people that still live here in town. So we, we do different things for our clients, activities. We do postcards that we mail out, several different types of postcards a month. But um, we found that by having a more focused number of people in the database, it's more manageable, more high-quality past clients and uh, sphere of influence, we're able to have a more uh, a higher effect, a larger impact on return instead of just trying to you know throw everyone in the database and have a huge 1,000, 2,000-person database. You said you just pared it down to 450. How big was it? You know, probably had about 700 plus people, almost 1,000, uh, but it's kind of an ongoing process. It's kind of like weeding the garden. Take out the clients that you, you didn't really enjoy working with or know that aren't, they're not going to refer you. And, you know, you look in your database and you wonder how some of these people got in your database. And if you call them, they wouldn't know who you are. You know, you probably want to clean up your database and get those folks out of there. Um, I know there's a lot of different philosophies, but that one just made sense to me. And it, it's, uh, it's a lot more manageable. Yeah, that was going to be my question of how you made the decision to remove. And it sounds like, if I heard you correctly just a minute ago, it, you took out people that you didn't like working with, some of your past clients, and then you also took out anybody you thought who would not refer business to you. Was there any other criteria you used? You know, other than, um, you know, if they, they've moved or, you know, obviously if they, you know, every, I'm sure this has happened to everyone, you find out that they've used another agent, you know, obviously we're going we're gonna to remove them from our list. Yeah, if they've done business with somebody else, if uh, it was a, just a horrible experience and we don't want to work with them, or if we just know they're not going to refer us, maybe their brother or their cousin got into the real estate business and I have a phone conversation with them and they say, yeah, we're going to send our business to, to so-and-so, uh, we'll, we'll just go ahead and take them off the list. Let's break down the 450. How many of those people are past clients? How many of those people are sphere of influence? don't have the exact numbers, but uh, roughly past clients that we're still marketing to that are still here in town are probably about 275. And then the other folks that are in there are sphere of influence. And some of those people will never buy a home, but uh, some of those people have been some of my best referral partners where they've sent me one, two, three, four referrals a year uh, because they know I take you know good care of their friends and family. How do you decide who gets added to the database? I understand this, the past clients, but what about on the sphere of influence? How do you know when somebody should go into the list? I've been more protective of that lately just because I don't want to have to weed, weed it out later. But what I typically do is if we get a call off a sign and we're working with someone, we're not just going to throw them in the database. Uh, basically, to, to be in the database, you need to either have a signed buyer's agency agreement with us sign listing agreement with us if you're not already a closed client, someone that I meet through a church organization or some sort of community event or a friend of a friend that I get introduced to, um, I may ask them, if you were to refer somebody, do you have a realtor you'd refer them to? And if their response is no, then if I feel that they'd be a good advocate, you know, someone to start talking, having that conversation with, then I'll add them to the database. If they say, well, I already have a realtor, I'd send them to so-and-so, and I'd ask them, well, how, how's your relationship with you know, agent Y? Do you have a personal relationship with them? And sometimes they say, well, no, and I like you better. So if we get that kind of response, of course, we're going to put them in the database. How are you tracking your database? Do you have all these people in a software or computer program? We do, and we're, we're right in the middle of a transition 
from the very beginning, I started off with using Agent Office. And uh, over the years, it's been bought and sold several times. There's been some tef- technical difficulties and upgrades. And I finally am making the switch over to uh, Real Pro Platinum. And that's, uh, it's going to be amazing once we get everything switched over. Our whole team will be able to access our, our client database from their smartphone, their iPhone, or their Android phone. And it's, it's a, a single location to have everything. So it's going to be in the cloud. Uh, we don't have to worry about backing everything up. Uh, so that we're in that process right now of uh, transitioning that whole database over. Just out of curiosity, why did you pick Real Pro Platinum over the other options that were out there? Well, I took a, lot, a look at a lot of the other options out there. I, my main website is a Real Pro website, so I like the idea of having a single source for all the information, my website, my lead generating, and my database all in one point. I was looking at these other systems that are out there, and to tie it into the website where we have the drip campaigns, it just made sense. Otherwise, I was having to, or my staff was having to take a lead from one source and hand input them into the Real Pro drip campaign system. So for me, it was a time saver. Um, you know, it is a monthly fee where agent office, you just pay a one-time fee. But overall, it's going to be creating a little higher level of productivity if our team's not spending time manually entering data. Let's talk about how your reaching out to your database, do you have a certain number of contacts, a goal of how often you want to contact your people in your database per month or per year? Yes, I have a plan to to reach out to them. I I send a jumbo-sized postcard, uh, color both sides, twice a month. The first postcard they get is a list of three new listings that I've just listed. We want to show our past clients in Sphere that were currently active in the market, for a long time I would just send out a postcard that didn't really have a lot of value or didn't express you know, the success we were having in the real estate market. So I wanted to let them know that we're still, especially when the market was down, I wanted to let them know that we were active in real estate because a lot of times people would come up and they'd kind of cower and say, oh, how, how are you doing, Jason? How's your business? And I'd say, great, we're doing great. So after answering that question about, you know, 50 times, I thought, you know, I'm not doing a good enough job communicating to my sphere of influence, my past clients that we're doing okay. We're never too busy for your referrals. So on the front of the card, we have three featured listings that month. And we try and pick ones in different price ranges, different areas of town, so they can see that we're active in all different areas of the community. And then on the back side of the card, we simply have a list of homes that we've sold so far that year with a number of homes kind of up in the left-hand corner. Jason Daniels and Associates have sold 40 homes so far or 50 homes so far. So every month we change that out. And we have links to uh, our website, our RealPro site. So if they want a CMA for their current home, uh, we switch that out every other month. One month it says, would you like to know the value of your home? Please visit this website. And the, the alternating months it will ask, Um, Would you like to see what's out there on the market here? Set up a personal custom home search at this website. So we send that out. And the second postcard we send out is a buy one, get one free meal at a local restaurant. And like I said, my father and I, we still team up to do things. We've teamed up. We actually met with probably two dozen restaurant owners 
all the way from super high-end steak restaurants in town that we've agreed to, to agreed to work with us all the way down to, you know, fast food restaurants where we, you know, they offer a buy one, get one free. And our big thing was we, we don't like expiration dates because a lot of people will get a coupon in the mail and by the time they find it at the bottom of their kitchen drawer, it's expired. So we were able to negotiate most of these without any expiration dates and we wanted them to be a true value, not a buy one, get half off. It's a true buy one, get one free. That's been very successful. Our clients love that. So we send that out once a month as well. So our database is getting two mailings a month from us. And then on the calling side, I need to really step that up. Our goal is to reach out personally with a phone call at minimum four times a year, just to touch base with them, you know, chat with them, see how their family's doing, you know, use the old Ford technique where you ask them about family, occupation, you know, recreation and dreams or goals. And uh, that, that just seems to work real well. Um, we like to call them on the anniversary when they bought the home, and then you know it gives us one reason to call. And then we uh, do a couple other client events throughout the year as well. This buy one get one free postcard. You said you had to negotiate for it to have a non-expiration date. Did you have to pay any money, or do you pay any money when people bring those cards in? No, we don't. We actually we went to the restaurant owners and we explained to them we're going to pay for the printing of this postcard. We're going to pay for the mailing of this postcard. And by the way, we actually partnered up with our lenders uh, because uh, most of our database use our lender to provide the loan. So it's all compliant. They actually help pay for that. So we've teamed up to reduce the cost on the, on the mailing and the, uh, the printing, but we basically approach the restaurant owner and say, Hey, we're going to give you a turnkey promotion for your restaurant. And obviously most people are going to come, with two or more people. So most likely, you know, if they have a family of four, they're going to be buying four meals. You're only going to give one free away. And uh, the restaurant owners that agreed to it can see the value. And some have been re- have been renewing their agreement with us for two, three, and four years. Uh, occasionally, some restaurant owners will decide they don't want to participate the following year. And uh, unfortunately, with the economy, some of the restaurants have, had gone out of business. But uh, so far, This year, we actually have more restaurant owners on board, and we basically tell them we're going to feature your restaurant twice in one year. So they're going to, we basically will send it out twice in one year. So they're going to get that same postcard every six months as long as that restaurant stays with us. And uh, it's no cost to them. So the restaurant owners that have, uh, seen success in this, call us and ask us if we can keep continuing to do that because it's bringing them business and they're paying thousands of dollars to be in these coupon mailers that go to people's, uh, you know, in their mailbox anyway. And they like the idea that it's a zero base cost to them except for the meal. Right. They only have to provide funds, so to speak, if someone shows up and asks for a free meal. They don't have to pay for the distribution of this promotion. And that's the advantage to the restaurant. Correct. And we also, what we do with these postcards to uh, get the uh, lower production cost, we will order them all up front from a, a company in Denver that prints them for us. And we can get the price way down on those cards. So we literally will print about twenty-three to 24,000 cards at once. And we keep them in our office as well. So when we get people relocating into the area, a lot of times they say, hey, Jason, where's a great restaurant You know, we'd like to go out to eat tonight? Oh, hey, here's a couple coupons. Here you go. So we hand them out through the year. So that's part of the, uh, the agreement with the restaurant is we're going to mail these to our database twice a year, but we're also going to hand them out every day when buyers come into the office, sellers come into the office. We're constantly going to be promoting your restaurant 
as people come in the office. So that's the other facet to these postcards is we're handing them out as well. Okay, let's talk about the postcard itself. How big is the postcard? You said jumbo. How big is that? You know, it's basically if you take an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, it's cut that in half and that's the size of the postcard. How about the cost? You said you were able to get the cost down by printing them up in bulk. How much are you printing either each card or all those cards for? I think when we break it down to the per card cost, I believe the printing's right around 15 cents a card, color both sides. And uh, I think the total cost when we pay postage and everything, it's running about 50 to 54 cents a piece, depending on uh, where it's going. There's a, a little bit of a fluctuation on that. So um, if we just calculate it, you know, 54, 55 cents a card, that gives us a real good idea of what our budget is for that month. And then how about the layout itself? Could you describe one of the cards? What would somebody see if they were to look at one of these buy one, get one free postcards? Sure. Basically, on the front of the card, on the left-hand side, half of the postcard is going to be the offer. And what we've done is uh, a lot of these restaurants don't have in-house graphic designers, so um, I've had someone on my team just do the graphics design work for us, and even the printers offer to do that for us if we want for a small fee. So they get to choose their logo and how they want it to look. Some restaurant owners say, I don't care, just make it look nice and I'll approve it. And then we've had some that are corporate stores that are very stringent. We've had to follow certain guidelines. So um, they put their logo, they put their offer, and uh, the coupons on the left side of the card. On the right side of the card, I have a picture of the backdrop of Pikes Peak in downtown Colorado Springs with my picture that says, uh, we appreciate your, your business. And it's got my company logo. We're, you know, Jason Daniels and Associates at Remax Advantage. You know, here's our client appreciation gift for the month. And then on the back of the card, we have, that's, you know, where the address for the, the client is and the postage. But on the left side of that card, again, we have uh, some information at the top with my uh, name and phone number and another call to action to, hey, if you're thinking about listing your home, please visit this website. And we alternate that every month as well. And the other month would be, if you're thinking about buying a home, you know, please contact uh, Jason Daniels and Associates. We can set up a custom search for you. And then below that, the lender has their space to advertise whatever they want, if they have a call to action or if they just want their name and phone number and logo. And then I also, we've been uh, trying out adding some social media into it. So we've put a Facebook logo on the card that says, you know, please like Jason Daniels and Associates on Facebook. And uh, we're going to be start starting with uh, monthly giveaways for all the people that like Jason Daniels and Associates on Facebook. So we're something new that we're trying this year to see if we can get some tie into social media with these postcards. Sounds like the call to action that you're putting on the buy one, get one free is probably alternating with the other postcard that you're doing earlier in the month as far as you are switching back and forth between a, a free CMA and a free list of homes. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so they're, every month they're getting hit with one of each. So the one postcard that month will you know, ask them if they want a CMA evaluation on their home, and then the other postcard will ask them if they're interested in buying a home. How many calls do you think that you're getting each month off of these postcards? Well, it's hard to say. A lot of times the call comes in and we you know, ask them, well, why are you calling? They say, well, because we know you. Uh, they don't necessarily reference the postcard, but we do see activity you know, on some of those websites. And the websites that are on there are some stealth sites at RealPro for home searches. So we get 
I would say direct hits on those websites where people actually just sign themselves up. Uh, we're probably getting about three, four, five, six a month, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's our sphere of influence. So they're a real high quality lead and we can see when they sign up, we call, or they'll just pick up the phone and call and say, I'm ready to buy. Let's go start looking. And they, you know, they don't always reference the postcard, but we do get clients that call us and thank us for, for the postcards. And they, you know, say, Oh, we had a great dinner over here at this restaurant. Just wanted to say thanks. Did you say that your picture and your logo is on both postcards? So that's getting in front of people twice a month. Yes, my face is up there in front of them. I've learned that early in the business, you want to put your picture and your logo and your phone number everywhere. And so, yeah, we have, I actually have that, uh, I believe, on both sides of both postcards. How many of these postcards did you say you're mailing out each month? Well, we're mailing out, my team, we're mailing out about 450 to 500. You know, again, we're, when we close a deal, we add people to the database, or when we list a new property, we add them to the database. So that's approximately how, how many of those postcards we're mailing out of each kind. So each month, we're mailing out just under 1,000 postcards. Okay. And you said about 50 cents each. So your budget for this is about $500 a month. It is. Now, on the, the postcard where we have the, the three featured listings of the month and the backside where we list the, the addresses of the homes, some of the homes that we've sold and the total number, that, that's changed out every month. And so we have to pay a little bit higher fee. I believe those, the company that does the printing actually does the mailing on that as well. Those cards are running us about 65 to 70 cents a piece because we're changing the content every, every month, whereas the other the restaurant postcards, because we were ordering such a large volume and I teamed up with my, my father's team, we were able to get that, that down quite a bit. So on the one mailing, it's about 65 to 70 cents a card. On the other, it's about 55 cents a card. Sure, but these are going out to high-quality people that you know. These are people in your, your hot list, your sphere of influence and past client database. So it's, it's worth it to spend a little extra. Absolutely. I've, I've learned, you know, through all the, you know, classes I've attended and books I've read that it's much cheaper to keep the current clients that you have happy and, and keep them excited about your business than it is to try and convert a brand new client out in the open marketplace. Is there anything else that you think somebody should know about these postcards before we move on? No, I think that pretty much sums it up. I think it's important that you know, whether people want to do postcards or not, I think it's important that they do something, at least something, at least once a month. You want to provide something that's of value and make sure that you stay in consistent contact with your clients on a monthly basis. Let's go into the, the next way that you're touching base with your clients each year. You said you're trying to make four phone calls per year. When are you making those calls and what are you saying when you call? Well, it's, uh, with my schedule, um, you know, I'm trying to worked out so I actually reach people. Uh, a lot of times I make my phone calls in the morning and I'm at the point right now where if I don't reach them, I'll leave them a nice message. But again, we like to try and call them on the anniversary of when they purchased their home. Also, we like to reach out to them on their birthday. So we'll reach out on their birthday. And I also actually uh, will send something in the mail as well. And I can, we can go into that later as well. But uh, we'll just call them up, wish them a, a happy birthday. And then uh, the other times, we'll actually reach out, pick up the phone, and call them to our client events. And that's going to be four or five phone calls a year at that point. You mentioned the, the birthday. You said you're sending out a, a card as well as the call. What's, what's going on there? Yeah, what we've done, and in, in, uh, I actually received this idea from, from another agent. And yeah, what we do is uh, we get everyone's birthdays, not just the 
the client, you know, the, the adults involved, we get birthdays for their whole family. And, you know, we don't ask them for the year. We just say, we just need to know the day and the month you were born. We don't need to know how old you are, but we'd like to, we'd like to send you something on your birthday and on your children's birthday. And 99% of the people think that's great. So they give us that information. And what we, what I've done is I've negotiated with a local um, ice cream and sweet shop in town, a local business owner where we print up a gift certificate and just on glossy cardstock paper. And we put it in our regular, I guess, envelope with my logo that we send out, you know, your standard number 10 envelope. And I just write a handwritten note on the back wishing him a happy birthday. And the actual gift certificate is for one free scoop of ice cream. And I, I approached the business owner who'd opened this, uh, his ice cream store. I think he'd only been open for a year when I, or maybe two, when I approached him, I said, most people aren't going to go out to ice cream by themselves. Uh, most likely they're going to bring at least one other person or their whole family. I said, uh, would it be okay? I'd like to uh, send out free gift certificates for an ice cream cone to my, my client database for their birthdays and offer them a free ice cream cone. How would you feel about that? And he said, that would be great. And I said, well, did you want me to pay anything? He said, well, no. He goes, I like this idea. So I'm zero base that except for the cost of the postage. And I just we just do a little handwritten note on the back. Hey, thanks. Hope you have a great birthday. Enjoy some ice cream. Have a great day. And uh, he said people go down there and they love it. And they call us. They'll call us and say, oh, you know, we just had a new baby. You know, can't eat ice cream yet, but can we put them on that list? And we go, sure, sure, we'll put them on the list. You know, of course, the, they'll probably have that ice cream cone for their one-year-old or whatever. But uh, that's been a real a real big thing as well uh, to to recognize people for their birthday and just appreciate them on a day that, uh, you know, on a day that's important to them. I like how you're structuring that conversation with the vendor that you're asking to provide either a free meal or a free ice cream. You're giving them the advantage of not only bringing in new people to their store and not only bringing in people in the future, but the fact that they're going to have multiple people there at the time that the coupon is being redeemed, that they can actually get a payback right there on the spot. Right. Yeah. No one goes to ice cream for themselves. There may be a few small, you know, percentage of them. Well, and, uh, but yeah, he, he could see the value, uh, as a smart business owner and his business has just exploded. And when people say, I want to get an ice cream cone, where do you go? I send them to his ice cream shop and, <laughs> and I kind of regret that now because sometimes in the summertime, like days like today, where it's 96, 98 degrees out, you know, there's a line out the door around the corner, but uh, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it, it, it's a really a good, uh, corner local business shop. I like to give business back to local business owners. When you make the call, what is your script? What do you say? Well, I really don't want to sell myself too much. Um, you know, if it's Mary's birthday, we'll call it, Hey Mary, just wanted to wish you a happy birthday. Really appreciate uh, your business, but I just want you to have a great day. Please let me know if there's anything I can do. Just keep it really simple and, uh, and uh, don't really go in to try and ask for referrals at that point. And how about when you make a call on the anniversary of the purchase of their home? Yeah, I'll call. So we'll use Mary as an example. Hi, Mary. This is Jason Daniels with uh, Jason Daniels and Associates at Remax Advantage. He just wanted to congratulate you on your fifth anniversary of purchasing your home. We're still here to help you. If you know anyone that's looking to buy or sell, please give us a call and have a great day. So that's if we're leaving a voicemail. Uh, obviously, if I get a hold of Mary on the phone, you know the conversation may be a little different. 
and I'll, I'll maybe ask how the family is doing. And at the end of the conversation, um, I usually always try and end it with, well, hey, Mary, thanks. You've been a great client. I know you've referred us people over the years. Who do you know in the next three to six months that might be thinking about buying, selling, or investing in real estate? And does that usually end up in some type of conversation about a referral? You know, not always, uh, but if they have someone on the top of their mind, it's going to come to the top of their mind, then yes, they'll, well, you know, I don't really know anyone now, but we'll keep you in mind. That's usually how it goes, but, you know, maybe maybe two or three out of ten phone calls. Yeah, you know, actually, you know, my brother's moving into town, and they really like this neighborhood, and we'd like to kind of keep out look out for anything that pops up over here. So starts that conversation or, um, Hey, Jim at work is, is really wanting to get out of his neighborhood. Um, so it really, if you ask them who, who do you know, it's, you know, it's not a yes or no answer. They have to think about it. If you just ask them, do you know anyone? Uh, most people are apt to say no, because they're not really thinking about it. But I've just found and, and learned, I actually, these are scripts that I've learned. And I haven't created these myself. I've just used what I've learned in, in different seminars and classes that I've gone to. But I've learned that just that one little switch of the word um, gets people to think. And again, it's not, I'm not always going to get a referral on every phone call, but it, it, uh, it's increased the conversion ratio as far as number of referrals. And it's also planting a seed. It's letting them know that you're interested in referrals and you want to help. Absolutely. Yeah, we say, well, great, we'll take great care of them. Who do you know? And uh, it works well that way. Now, you mentioned that you have a client appreciation party. Let's talk about that. How many client appreciation parties or events do you put on per year? Well, I have two different client events, and we're considering maybe adding a third into the mix. Uh, but I just started one last year, and it was such a huge success. We're doing it again this year, and it's going to be an annual event. We do a client barbecue, and I've learned this from a lot of the top other agents that have recommended it. I've always wanted to try it, so we planned it last year, and it was a huge success. We rented out a, a local park and a field and a couple pavilions. We had it catered with, uh, with a local barbecue company. Uh, we had had it catered with ice cream from my favorite ice cream vendor in town. Um, I also hired a balloon artist who was a past client, um, a DJ who sent me referrals in the past, and we also have um, a bounce house that we rented for the kids. And then we also had a bunch of little carnival games that my wife created. My wife, uh, you know, stays at home, but uh, stay-at-home mom, but she likes to get involved in these client parties. She, she really has fun with them. So we have all these games for kids to play the bounce house, the balloon artists, and then we're entertaining the adults, you know, with the food. We have a DJ playing music. And then we also do um, raffle prizes, door prizes, giveaways. And last year, I think we had about 30 or 40 prizes. And we had, you know, probably 10 or 15 for children, you know, children-type prizes, like toys and stuffed animals and, you know, video games, those kind of things. And then for the adults, we had anything from free massages to oil changes to restaurants, uh, cards. And the, 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 the grand prize that, that we had was a tablet PC. So it really got people excited to come out. And for most of those door prizes, again, we're trying to keep the cost down. So we will go through our database and uh, any business owners that would like to donate a door prize, we will actually give them a 10-second spot because we have a microphone, we have the DJ there, we'll give them a 10-second highlight on their business, 
in, in return, they're giving us uh, a free gift certificate to give away at the barbecue. Now, uh, some of the other items, you know, the gift cards and things like that, we purchased ourselves or a lender that we've teamed up with will purchase some of those as well. And then some business owners, don't be afraid to ask any business owners. We had one business owner that I think that was selling Mary Kay, and she said, well, I really don't feel comfortable giving away Mary Kay because people might not like that. So I just want to give a $50 gift certificate. So they're actually buying the restaurant gift certificates, even though it may not be tied to their business. They still get that 10 second spot spotlight. So we had about 130 people show up last year. And I think we'll, the word got out that it was a, a, it was a good event. I think we're expecting, you know, probably closer to 175 or 200 people this year. But uh, it's been a real fun event to give back to the clients. In that one event, the first time we did it last year, brought uh, four four transactions uh, just straight from that event. People said, they'd walk up to me at the barbecue, shake my hand, oh, my parents are wanting to move, give them a call. Uh, or, hey, my neighbor's thinking about selling, they have a realtor, they're not doing a good job, their contract's out next week, call them. So it really just paid for itself on the immediately from just the direct impact that we had. Plus, I know it's it's keeping our clients in our, you know, in the top of my, top of their mind by holding an event like that. Let's dig into this a little more. When do you do it during the year? Is there a month that you like to pick? We like to do it um, before school starts, but we don't want to do it at the beginning of the summer because that's when a lot of folks are taking their kids on vacation and they're out of town, and that's when the the baseball and the soccer season starts up. So we like to try and strategically plan it when the sports season ends and before the school season starts, which is usually the last week in July or the first couple weeks in August. Uh, this year we're having ours August 10th, and it seems like that's a good a good time to do it. We do it on a Saturday, and last year we did it from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., which we found out was a little bit early because uh, you know some people didn't show up until it was almost over. So this year we're going to start it right at noon and go to 3 o'clock. Very good. So you're going to go for a three-hour time frame. When you did the first one, were people there for most of the three hours? You said some of them didn't show up till the end. Were the people that did, did they stay for the whole three hours? You know, we did. I would say probably a good 40 to 50% of the people stayed there till the end because we had the uh, the door prizes, the raffle prize. Everyone wanted to stick around, and maybe even a higher percentage than that. Some people did have, you know, they had to leave. They had work commitments or, you know, there was still some sports going on where their kids were involved with something. But uh, we had enough entertainment there with the different carnival games and the bounce house and the balloon artist who, by the way, is phenomenal. I've never seen a balloon artist like this gentleman before. He happens to be one of my clients and just blew me away. Uh, we get calls from people asking who he is so they can hire him for their kid's birthday party. But uh, we had enough enough entertainment. We had a DJ there playing music, and you know, and our clients had a chance to meet and network with each other. Again, there's, I work with, you know, I have quite a few different business owners, and you know, they like to just sit there and network at the event as well. So it was it was a good event. I, I was really excited about it. it. It went really well, and that's why we're looking forward to doing it again this year. Did you have a registration table or a place for people to come in when they first showed up? We we did. We had uh, we had the buffet line set up for the barbecue, and at the beginning of the line, we had our team members serving, and I was out there trying to help as well to serve and get people situated. They would register uh, at the desk, and we actually had them fill out a form for the raffle, but they had, you know, and some people bring guests, and we're okay with that. We asked them to fill out a form, 
And if they're on our list, we don't need to get their address and contact information. But if it's someone new, we ask for their contact information, ask them if they're thinking about buying or selling a home or investing in real estate. And we have that up front to try and kind of collect that data so we can follow up with those people afterwards. Once they fill out that form, then we give them the raffle tickets and then they go through the line to get their food. So we have it kind of strategically set up to help us, you know, generate those referrals a little easier and capture uh, more contact information. How do you remember everyone's name? Did you have name tags? Well, yeah, we did have name tags. Not everyone wanted to use them. Um, A lot of times uh, what would happen, they would go through and register, and I was kind of standing around near the servers where we were serving the food, and they would they would uh, welcome them. Oh, it's great to see you. You know, Jim and Susan, this is great. And then I go, okay, it's Jim and Susan. But for the most part, I knew most of these people, but occasionally, you know, if it's someone that bought a home from you eight years ago and you've talked to them on the phone and you haven't seen them in eight years, you know, people change. So, you know, it, it helps uh, to, to kind of stand by the registration booth as they're signing in and you can kind of hear hear them talk with my staff and go, oh, okay, this is Jim and Mary. Oh, that's right. They bought, you know, 3225 Buffalo Court or whatever. And, uh, and it's just like I was talking to them yesterday. So that helps. What do you do at the event? You said you stand there at the beginning by the registration table. Did you stand there all day? What else do you do, you personally? What did you do during the event? When people first start arriving, I stand around at that booth, at the uh, kind of the registration booth or table. Uh, but then I just I go around and mingle and talk with people as they're making sure they're enjoying their food, just asking them if they're, hey, can we get you anything else? Just kind of, you know, serve people and just greet people and ask them how their family's doing and, uh, and things like that. Uh, just mingle. I was just all over the place. And then at the end, I would actually do the door prize giveaway and and let the businesses do their announcements. So I, I was just all over the place making sure, I wanted to make sure that I hit every table briefly just to have a conversation, just so I could have a personal quick conversation or at least shake their hands of everyone that stopped by to thank them for coming. What was the overall cost of the entire event? You know, it was our first year, and I think we overshot, overestimated on the on the number of people as far as how much food to buy. I want to say that that came to about $5,200. And uh, the lender that I worked with, again, a lot of the buyers that were there were her clients as well. So the lender helped split the cost of that event with me. And this year I've got a home inspector lined up. I'm working on our title company, but here in Colorado, title companies aren't too apt to do that kind of co-marketing, at least here in the Colorado Springs market. But um, we're working, we're, I'm always looking at avenues to try and, you know, uh, reduce the costs and fees and share them with other businesses that we work with. So we had a lot of extra leftover food. I think we overshot. I think we're going to be able to pull it off this year for probably closer to $4,500, $4,600 for the same event. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. And you said that it immediately resulted in four transactions, so it more than paid for itself right after the event. Absolutely. I mean, literally with, within those four transactions, they followed within the next you know four to six months. 
paid for itself. And of course, there's people still calling me going, hey, that was a great event. Are you doing it again? Or, hey, I remember at the barbecue, you know, that was such a great time. And it just made me think someone told me they want to buy a house and I'm giving you a call. Here's their phone number. So we're still reaping the rewards from that. And I think as we continue to make that an annual event, it's just going to grow and hopefully we'll will continue to grow as far as the number of referrals we get and uh, number of clients we can get to attend. Let's talk about how you promoted the event, how you got the word out. What did you do to make sure people knew about the event? Well, we kind of did that in a multifaceted way. We did it the old traditional way where we actually send out a jumbo postcard and we're getting ready to do that for this year's event. I just uh, sent a, approved the proof to send off to the printer is a save the date card. And we're going to, we're sending that out, let's see, probably towards the end of the month here in the next two weeks. So we want to send that out about a month and a half before the event. And then we're going to actually send out a invitation with an envelope, a little fancier, nothing too fancy, but you know, just a little more formal of an invitation. And that's going to go out about three weeks prior to the event. So we're, we're, we're sending them out that way, but we're also, uh, we sent them out by Evite. Um, you know, a lot of people are just super tech savvy, they just want to respond quickly. So uh, uh, on those evites, we track who's coming. And so if someone responds and they call because we ask them to RSVP so we know how much food to order, our our staff will actually just go into the evite, and we that's where we keep our list of who's coming and how many people are coming. Uh, some people just respond automatically to that evite, and we go from there. We're also sending out a uh, email to everyone in our database as well, and then. This year, I'm asking my team and I, we're going to actually call people again right before the event. And I'm going to try and make as many phone calls that I can myself. Um, but if it gets down to the wire, you know, I'm probably going to have some of my team, my buyer's agents, pick up the phone and start calling, especially the clients that they work with directly, to remind them to the event. And we'll probably do that about two weeks prior to the event. Does Evite send out an email announcement or does it just take in the RSVPs as they come in? It does both, and quite honestly, I don't know exactly how it works because I delegated that to my assistant last year, and I'm doing that again this year, but it actually sends out an invitation, and then people can actually RSVP, or they can decline to attend, or they can click a maybe, maybe we'll come, uh, and then it actually keeps track of the guests that are going to be there, and then it will actually, you can set it up to send out a reminder email, and you can you can set that out. So usually we'll send out the initial evite, we'll do another follow-up two or three weeks later, and then we do a, a, you know, a last minute, you know, we have to have the food ordered about a, you know, four or five days before the event. We'll send out a week before the event, you know, last, you know, last time email. If you want to come, please let us know. So we, they get about three or four emails through the Evite system. How often are you sending out that Evite? You mentioned, for instance, that the first postcard goes out about 45 days before, the second postcard about 21 days before. When are you sending out those Evites? You know, the Evites, we typically send that out a month, the first one a month before the event, and then we'll follow up with another one about a week later, and then another week later, so about a week apart. Very good. And how about on the emails? You mentioned emails. How often are you sending those out, and, and how much before the event? You know, the, well, the emails are through the, the Evites, but we'll usually send out just one email uh, and we're getting ready to send out probably close to the, uh, around the, when the save the date card goes out, we'll send out an email and, uh, saying we'll be sending out an, uh, an official Evite invitation, you know, in the next couple of weeks, keep an eye out in your inbox. 
we'll also be sending out a postcard, so you know, check your mail. Just kind of a kind of a save the date email, and then the the other following emails are all from the Evite system, and that's free, by the way. So if I counted that up, you're making about six contacts for the event itself. Correct. Do you make a contact after the event, a post-contact where you say, for instance, here are some pictures of the event or here's what happened at the event? We didn't do that last year. Now, we did post some pictures on Facebook and thanked people for coming out. Uh, But I think this year, I think we'd like to incorporate something along those lines of sending a postcard out with some pictures. Uh, But we uh, we didn't do that last year. I think it would be a good way to, you know, tie down the, hey, we had this event. Thanks for coming. If you didn't, here's what you missed, kind of postcard. Do you hand out any kind of spiff at the event? For instance, do you give everybody a T-shirt to memorialize the event that has your name on it or maybe some pins or, or anything like that? You know, last year we didn't. Uh, we'd planned the event and found out that some of these items that we thought we'd want to order were kind of a longer lead item. So we didn't last year. This year I'm actually looking into a couple avenues. Uh, we're looking at maybe doing a Frisbee or a water bottle with our logo on it, maybe a T-shirt. So uh, we've got to make that decision probably in the next week or two so we can have those ordered and shipped on time. But we are wanting to do that this year and add that to it where people can take that home with them. So not only do you have the event, not only do you have the referrals directly from the event, but you have six of your contacts made throughout the year. I I think that's a fantastic idea. Now, you mentioned you have a second event. What's the second event? Well, the second event, um, again, it's uh, a lot of agents do this. A lot of top producers do this. On Thanksgiving, we we, uh, will give out a free Thanksgiving pie. And we do that from our office. And we send out, again, we send out a invitation in the mail asking them whether they'd like an apple pie or a pumpkin pie. We give them just two choices. And that way they have to respond and let us know which, which type of pie they'd like. And again, with that, we will typically follow up with one phone call and we send out the one postcard and we'll also, uh, we, we tried Evite with that last year and I don't know if we had the greatest success with the Evite with that system, uh, but we may try and uh, change that a little bit to see if we can get it to work better. But again, the same idea, usually it's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, we'll have them come pick the pies up in our office and I schedule that day pretty much off of appointments unless they're critical, like a closing or something that has to close that day. But otherwise, I'm in the office all day as much as possible to meet our clients as they come in to get their free pie. And we've been doing that for about four or five years, and the clients just love it. They, you know, we buy pies, we get them at a, you know, one of those wholesale retailers like Sam's or Costco, whichever looks, looks like they have a better deal on the pie that year. And we'll just go load up a whole truckload of pies and, and bring them in. And we actually will wrap them in cellophane and put a ribbon on them just so they don't look so industrial with the cardboard or whatever, you know, however they're packaged at the store. And people come in and they love that. They come in and they'll chat with us and share out what's going on with their family. And, and uh, when they actually, the first year they come pick up the pie, they're, they're huge pies. They're always so surprised. They're like, wow, this is a huge pie. We thought it was just going to be a little pie. So uh, they say, we're going to come back every year. So the first year we did that, we probably only had 30 or 40 people take us up on it. The next year, we had about 50 or 60 people, and it went to 75. Uh, then last year, I think we had about 85 pies we ended up handing out that year. You've been doing that one for a while, so you've got some good stats, as you just mentioned. You send out a postcard and a call. How far before the event do you send a postcard out? 
You know, we send that out about three weeks prior, and we'll send an email out, kind of a save-the-date type of email. Now, we only do the one mailing, but we do the save-the-date email about a month before, and then we'll say, keep an eye out in your mailbox. Then we'll actually send another email out that kind of lines up when that goes out. So they can either respond by email or they can actually call us an RSVP uh, for what kind of pie they like. So it sounds like they're getting two emails. Right, they're getting the two emails, the one postcard, and then we typically like to, if we have time, uh, you know, follow up with a phone call just to make sure we're not let, you know, that people aren't missing out. Make sure they got because one year we had a couple people say they didn't get the postcard in the mail and they really wanted the pie. And we usually, here's a tip: we usually buy, you know, four or five extra of each kind because we, there's always a client that shows up that says, oh, I RSVP'd or, or I didn't get the card, but I knew you guys were giving pies out. We don't want to turn people away. So some years we'll go home with about four or five extra pies, <laughs> uh, but usually it kind of washes out. So we usually buy extra because, you know, we don't want to send anyone away empty-handed. You said you make a, a phone call. How does that conversation go when you're inviting people for the pie giveaway? Oh, you know, we call and say, hey, we just wanted to remind you we're, we're giving out pies. We haven't seen that you've registered for one. Would you like to, to pick up a pie, you know, and they, you know, apple or pumpkin? And sometimes they say, well, no, we really appreciate it. We got your your email invite, but we're we're traveling. We're going to be on the East Coast, and so we, we won't be able to pick up the pie, but we really appreciate it. And then we, you know, we'll, again, if we feel like it's appropriate and we have time in the conversation, you know, we'll, we'll chat with them for a minute or two and ask them the same question. Well, uh, who do you know that might be thinking about moving, you know, buying or selling or investing in real estate in the next three to six months? And that uh, tends to work. Sometimes uh, I'll have my, my team make some of those calls as well. Again, I, I like to try and make as many of those personal calls myself. Uh, but if, if we don't have the time for that, then uh, we have someone on the team make those calls. You said these are huge pies. How, how huge? Well, they're about they're about 14 to 16 inches. They're pretty big, and you know it, we've got them from Sam's before. We've got them from Costco, and it, you know some years the, the prices are different, and so we just kind of again try and keep our costs down, pick the ones that are going to be more affordable. And sometimes uh, with the number going up, there's a pie rush, and they may not have enough pies, so we'll go to the place that has them. Ah, so do you special order them, or do you just kind of walk in and buy as many as you can at a time? You know, they won't let us special order them. They just tell them we have to come in and buy what's there, but we usually call them ahead of time and say, you better have about 80 pies ready to go. <laughs> and, they, you know, I haven't had too many problems with that if we call them the day before, but they won't take a custom order at those places. How much are each of the pies costing? You know, the uh, the cost keeps going up. We used to have a pecan pie in the mix, but with the cost of nuts going up, I think that pie ended up being 14 or $15, so we kind of took that one out of the mix. The pumpkin pies are running about 6 six fifty. The apple pies are running about 10 50 or $11. So, you know, if, if everyone picks apple, it's a little more expensive. If, you know, they pick pumpkin, it's a little less expensive. But it just makes it easier, easier all the way around just to have a choice between two. At least people that feel like they have a choice and it gives them a reason to RSVP. So the first year it cost you maybe $300 and, and you built it up and maybe it's cost you $1,000 now. Does that sound about right as far as the, the pies? Yeah, a little bit less than that. I think we, with the postage and the pies last year, it was right around $750, $800. Oh, and that's with the postage? Right. Yeah, what does that jumbo postcard look like for the pie giveaway? Well, it's actually what we've done in the past, and we may 
we're looking at a different uh, form this year, but I was we were buying these uh, invitations that are already pre-printed that you can just feed through a laser printer, and uh, those were costing us ten cents a piece, and then plus you know we're just using our our current laser printer to print that, uh, but those started to jam up our printer and caused a lot of headache, and we spent more time with my assistant's hourly rate to print those than it was worth. So this year we're looking at doing maybe um, a send out cards account because they're, they have a, uh, you know, we're, I haven't used them yet, but I've looked at some of the cards they have. You can actually have a custom message. We could have a picture of a pie and it's actually a card that opens up in an envelope and they'll, it's all one source. They'll do the, the printing, the mailing and everything from their, their location. So I think we're this year we're going to be looking into that where we just send them our database with addresses and send it out that way. I'm not sure. I think the cost to do those, if you order enough of them, I believe they're around 75 to 80 cents. Uh, but like I said, it's uh, with the amount of staff time to try and print them on in-house, it just doesn't seem like it's worth it this year. It looks like you spent about $1,000 on this promotion, maybe something just under that. Did you get your money back? You know, we did. It's uh, we we usually get one or two referrals out of the pie giveaway. It's uh, you know we we got a little bit more out of the barbecue, but um, every year there's one or two deals out of this pie giveaway, so it definitely is paying for itself. Plus, you got four contacts. You had the postcard, a couple of emails, and a call. You got four contacts out of the promotion itself. Does that sound right? Yeah, about about four contacts, and you know if it. If uh, if they have already registered, they may not get that last phone call. Uh, so it's three, but at least three, if not four contacts. So between the two events, you're making almost 10 contacts to your database, whether they show up or not. Correct, correct. It gives you a reason to call and talk to them. Absolutely. You know, people aren't don't want to call their clients or sphere because they don't know what to say. If you put it on an event, it's a no-brainer. It's easy. You know, there's... You know, people really shouldn't have call reluctance if they're, you know, going to put on an event because you're giving something of value, and and people love that. You mentioned you were thinking about putting on a third event. What's the other event you're thinking about doing? Well, right now, I I sponsor and started a neighborhood garage sale, and it's the first Saturday in June, and I'm not sure with that if we, we were considering doing one in the springtime because we have the barbecue in late summer, and then we have the pie giveaway in the fall, we were thinking of maybe selling that spring gap. We haven't done anything yet, but we've considered maybe doing a movie day or a bowling event. So we're, we're kind of kicking that idea around now because we, you know, typically I'll plan my budget and our marketing plan in October or November for the whole following year. So we're kind of kicking those ideas around. You know, I'm, I'm listening to your other interviews with the other agents you're interviewing. You know, again, these things that I'm doing, I'm not creating, I'm not inventing. We're just we're just implementing what's already been done. So we're looking at maybe negotiating with some of the bowling alleys of the movie theaters to see what, you know, what can we do next spring. On the concept of referrals, you've mentioned that you've been receiving referrals from other agents. Describe or tell us what that means. What does that mean? Well, I have a lot of referrals coming in from other agents and multiple sources. I believe you interviewed another agent that's, a, you know, getting leads from the Dave Ramsey organization. I am an ELP. Not supposed, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to disclose that, but, you know, I, I do get a fair amount of uh, leads, referrals from Dave Ramsey's organization for the ELP system. Um, that's been a good source. I've actually created a kind of a, an alliance with uh, an agent in Denver who has a larger team, 
and they have actually purchased a lot of online advertising in the Colorado Springs area. And I can't remember exactly how I got in touch with them. I think they actually contacted me. They were looking for, uh, you know, an agent in Colorado Springs area that had a team that they could refer these leads to because they were referring them to this, uh, the in-house company they worked for. But they're, I'm with Remax. They're with a different company. And the agents down here that worked for their company were dropping the ball. So we started servicing those clients, closing the deals, and then we started reciprocating and sending referrals up to Denver. So that's been real a real successful alliance with that agent up there. I mean, we're probably sending... Uh, you know them. You know one referral a month, and and uh, they since they're paying for all this online marketing down in the Colorado Springs area, you know they're probably sending us about three referrals a month for active clients or leads. So that's one source. Another source, uh, there's a a lender that's just taken it upon themselves to to pay for some online advertising that contacted me and said we're looking for a top agent to team up with. We're a lending organization, and we. You know, if you can close these deals, we'll, we'll refer them to you. So I've built a relationship with that particular, you know, company. Uh, and then we have another relationship with another agent in another state who has kind of built an online uh, source for leads as well. And he just reached out with a letter to, you know, looking for top agents. And I've been receiving referrals from that agent as well. So um, I do pay a, a fair amount of referral fees, but it's there's zero cost to, to receive those other than the referral fee. So, if, you know, I'm not buying internet leads. I'm not uh, paying monthly fees for any of these things. I've just built these relationships with other realtors or other lenders that are actually being proactive in marketing. And a lot of it's coming from their online source. And uh, other relationships I've built up with, I attend two or three real estate events or conventions every year all over the country. And I network with other realtors at those events as well. So we get a study just a steady flow of referrals from, I mean, it's just a wide, you know, array of different methods, but that's kind of, a lot of our business is through other other realtors. You mentioned that you're in a military town. You have five military bases there. What percentage of your business is from people that are in the military? You know, I would say 40 to 50%, either the seller or the buyer is, is, uh, is a military, either in the Air Force or the Army. And it's a huge uh, driving factor in our marketplace. Uh, the majority of the loans, again, 40 or 50% of them uh, in certain price ranges are going to be VA. Uh, you know, now in different price ranges, you know, it's not the case. But in your standard average sales price, um, it's going to be a large percentage. So it, it turns out that a large percentage of your client base is military. However, it doesn't sound like you're promoting yourself as a military agent. Is that correct? Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, I guess I have on my website that we help military relocation. Um, I probably could do a better job of branding that. And I have reached out to other agents where there's other military bases across the country, like in San Antonio or, you know, because we do have Army and Air Force bases here. So that is, again, like I would mentioned before, I, I would like to do a better job in, in building other niches. And I think there's a lot of improvement for our team on doing that because we do service a lot of military clients. Also, I, I think I heard or saw somewhere that you get referrals from builders. What does that mean? I was also contacted, actually, this is by another realtor who'd started up a company, a third-party company, and he went and marketed all the local builders in town and came up with a program where the if the buyer came into the builder without a realtor, 
they would qualify for this program and basically it gives the buyer a rebate after they close their current home if they have the home to sell and the home that they are purchasing from the builder. And to facilitate that program, they need obviously an agent involved if they have a house to sell. So they approached me and asked me if I'd be interested in being their go-to agent for the Colorado Springs market. So basically if a buyer walks in and they have agreements, I believe, with five or six local builders, if a buyer walks into a builder's office and they're not affiliated with a realtor, and I made that very clear, if they're if they're affiliated with a realtor, I don't want them mentioning the program at all because I don't want to step on any other anyone else's toes. But if someone comes in without a realtor, then they're allowed to share this program with them. And they, they call me and say, hey, Jason, we have a couple here. They just wrote a contract on this new construction home, but they need their house sold in 60 days. Go list their house. So I go list their house. And then, there, you know, of course, there's a referral fee involved with that. But in that, I've actually created more personal relationships with those builders as, you know, as I've met them and I, you know, visit their, their models. And so they put a face with a name and actually another team member on my, on my team knows another builder, a salesperson who refers us um, listing leads directly. So we've, we've kind of built an alliance with some of the local builders uh, when someone comes in and needs to sell their house. I, I think I missed something. Could you help me understand the program that's set up with the builder again? You mentioned uh, rebate and you mentioned referral. W- w- could you give us a big picture of the program? Somebody walks into a, the builder's office. They want to buy a home. They have a home to sell. They call you into the program. What happens? How does that work? Well, basically, the this third-party company offers this person a rebate once they close. So they call me and I get involved. I list their home. I sell it. I pay a referral fee to the agent that started this third-party company. But that, that end user, they actually get a, a large percentage of a rebate. And it's, it, it depends on whether they're buying up or buying down. So it can get kind of confusing unless I you know, went into the whole details of the program. But at the end of the trans, both transactions, they get a cash rebate from this third-party company and they can use part of that rebate for the cost to move or clean, you know, do a final clean on the house that they're selling or to have a, a home stager come in. So they allow them to use this rebate towards moving expenses or they can just take a cash rebate at the end of the day once they close on the, the home that we're selling and the home that the builder's selling them. So it's kind of a win-win. You know, we, they're introducing more clients to us to, is for, you know, for listing and the client's getting a rebate. So you're paying a referral fee to the third party for the lead. The third party company is paying the rebate to the buyer as an incentive for going through the program. Correct. And that third party company, you know, they they are a licensed realtor, so the builder actually pays them, you know, some sort of percentage on the new build and then I send in my referral fee for the lead they send me and they kind of package that together give the rebate and then you know they're a for-profit company they keep the rest so um, they package it all up they already had made uh, connections with a lot of different builders so it's kind of a a system I could just plug into and it actually it's worked out fairly well. Do you know the name of that third-party company? Smart Move Advantage. I'd like to shift gears and I'd like to talk about your team. Can you tell me who's on your team, and I'm looking for titles, position titles, and then their responsibilities? Sure. Well, I have a transaction coordinator, and she's actually been with me for four years, and she's been in the real estate industry since, I believe, 1993. So she has a lot of experience, and she's my office manager 
slash transaction coordinator. So her main function on the team is to process contracts and take them from under contract state to closing and to make sure that all the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, take care of making sure all the inspections and appraisals are organized and scheduled and, and everything is moving smoothly on that end. Um, then I also have a listings manager, and the listings manager job is basically to service the, the listings. And so I'll go in, when I take a listing, I usually have a one-step process. We'll get the listing agreement signed. And if they're ready for photos, I actually will just take the photos of myself right there. Otherwise, we'll schedule another appointment to go out and take pictures. I'll hand the file with the pictures to my listings manager, and she will take it from there. She'll Photoshop the pictures, input everything into the MLS. She'll start the the, the brochure, the color brochure design. She'll make sure all the all the information is plugged into our websites, pretty much A to Z from there. And then at that point, once the active listing is is set up, then she is also responsible for showing feedback and keeping in touch with our sellers on a weekly basis on where their home is marketed, how many showings they've had. We also track how many showings they've had online from the different places like Realtor.com, Remax.com, all those different sources that will actually give you those reports. We can send them so that way they can see that our marketing is working. We're, you know, we may be getting you know, 300 views a week, but if we're only getting one or two showings a week, maybe the price is, is off a little or maybe one of the photos needs to be changed out. So we're, we're giving them a, a different layers of reports every week on that and following up with feedback. So that's the listings manager's job. And so once it goes under contract, then it slides back over to the transaction coordinator. The other two team members that I currently have are buyer specialists. And I've had one buyer specialist on board with me now uh, for about a year and a half. I st- my first buyer specialist I think I hired about two and a half years ago, almost three years ago. And then I hired my second buyer's agent uh, just last November. So this year we have two. And basically their whole job is to put a buyer in the car, get them under contract. And they're responsible for writing the contract, showing the properties, and basically A to Z. So I'm generating the leads and I will hand the lead off to my buyer's agents as they come in once we get them agreed to come into a buyer consultation meeting, I just hand them off, and then they're responsible for following up, communicating, writing the contract, and getting them to closing. Now, they also can utilize the transaction coordinator because I don't want my buyer's agents focused on paperwork. I want them in the car with client, you know, getting something under contract. So that's how the basic structure of the team is set up. And you're the rainmaker. Yes, I, I am the rainmaker, and I do the listing appointments. So I, I bring in the leads handle the listings, but I am considering looking at bringing on a listing partner here in the future. On your buyer agents, do you like to find experienced agents or inexperienced agents? You know, I've had both. I find it depends on the personality. If I can find someone that is is willing to learn and apply the techniques that I teach, I'm okay whether they have no experience or whether they're very experienced. So the, my main buyer's agents that I had all through last year has been selling real estate for nine years. Yeah, he's a great guy, very good at sales, very good at customer service, was just uh, not producing a lot of leads, wasn't generating leads, and I approached him and, and offered him a position on the team, and he's just taken that position and flown with it. He's done a great job. 
Um, I also have the other agent that I hired. Um, she has some experience. She's fairly new, and I'm te- teaching and training her the system. The first buyer agent that I hired is no longer with me. I had to let her go, but um, she had zero knowledge. And when she took what I taught her and applied it, she became very successful. When she was working for another firm, another team, the first six months of her business, she closed zero transactions. She worked with me for about a year, a year and a half. And working with me, she was able to close about 36 transactions. So she went from zero to 36 transactions in about a year time frame. So again, if if the agent has experience, but they're, they have a team attitude where they're, you know, they're a team player, they have a good attitude, they're willing to work, they're willing to work hard, it doesn't really matter to me as long as, as, long as they have those attributes. And you mentioned that the, the first buyer agent you had is no longer with you, maybe you had to let her go. What happened? Well, uh, she was, uh, I think, had a mind of her own, and she probably, I think, wanted to go out on her own. She didn't have an idea of wanting to stay with the team, I don't think, uh, for long term. And she was trying to tell me how she was going to work with our buyers and how she wanted me to run my business. And, you know, I am a team player, but this is my team. It's my business. And she wasn't uh, wanting to attend the weekly team meetings. And we had some other issues as well. So I, uh, I kindly reintroduced her to the market and suggested that she go out on her own. And she did. Uh, and then she she moved to another location because her husband was in the military. So, um, you know, she's living in another state now, so I don't know if she's practicing real estate there or not. But while she was had a good attitude, she was actually doing a really good job. But um, her attitude changed for some reason. I'm not sure why. But um, it was it was a good decision to, to have her move on and find somebody else. Yeah, this is a very common question, especially for people thinking about bringing on their first buyer agent. They always want to know, how do you compensate a buyer agent? How are you compensating your buyer agents? What I did was I, I basically followed other models that I saw that were successful. I see a lot of teams offer splits and offer things that are just not very profitable. Um, so after studying it for a while and maybe too long, I probably should have hired a buyer's agent much sooner than I did. I basically offer to cover all their expenses. So I cover every expense except for their car, their gas. I require that they pay and have their own laptop. I require that they pay and have their own cell phone. And I require that they pay their annual board dues. I pay their monthly board dues, their REMAX fees, the office fees, marketing, business cards, anything involved. I, I cover the expense and then I just pay them on a split. So um, it's, it's attractive to a lot of agents, especially when the market was turning down, where you could go on a team and work for a split, but the majority of the teams were wanting a monthly fee, a transaction fee, and by the time you added up all these fees, the split sounded great, but you, you know, if you didn't sell a home, you're, you're in trouble, where um, I know I'm generating enough leads, and if I can find people that are willing to work with me, I know we can help make them successful. So I just went ahead and took that advantage in the marketplace and just said, look, I'm going to cover all your fees. So you don't have to worry about that, except for the, you know, the four that I'd mentioned. So you're covering their hard operating costs and then there's a split. What's the split? They get 40%. If there's a referral fee involved, it's after the referral fee has been paid. Does that split fluctuate or is it just a flat 40%? No, it's just a flat 
40% to make it simple. The agents that I have, I, I ask them to try and generate their own business and bring in business. And right now, we generate enough leads that they're so focused on the leads coming in, they're, they're not really focused on generating their own leads. I'd be happy if they wanted to. And if, you know, if they started generating a, a very large number of leads every month on their own, then, then that, that may be up for a rediscussion. But at, the, at this point, the system works really well with that split. There's no confusion on you know, eight different splits. If you do this many deals, it's this. And then if you bring in people, it's this. I just keep it clean, simple. My goal for my buyer's agents is to get them to making $100,000 a year. Most agents in the marketplace that are struggling, that, that are willing to learn, they're willing to be a team player, if you tell them they're going to make $100,000 with no out-of-pocket cost except for their laptop, their car, and their cell phone, they get pretty excited, and it usually works out pretty well for them. Jason, are all the people on your team licensed? Only my buyer specialists at this time are licensed. Um, at, at this point, Due to the REMAX structure, um, it, it's kind of costly to have an assistant that's licensed. They basically treat them like an agent and I have to pay all the high fees. So at this point, my transaction coordinator and my listings manager are, non, are non-licensed team members. I'm sure people listening are going to be thinking, boy, you've got a whole bunch of people running around. And one of the questions they're going to have in their head is, are you profitable? Yes, absolutely. I wouldn't be doing this if uh, if we weren't. So uh, I kind of like to take pride in the fact that we kind of run lean and mean and, and have a, a pretty decent profit margin. Could you share with us your profit margin as a percentage of your gross revenue? Yeah, the percentage we're running for the last couple of years at about 60%. And some years that's 62, 63%. Some years that's 59%. But that's typically where I like to see it. And, and hopefully as we can become more efficient as a team and grow, um, if, if hopefully we can increase that just a little bit. So if I understood that correctly, if $100 comes into the front of your organization, $60 comes out the bottom to you. Is that correct? Exactly. Wow, that is awesome. I've learned from other agents that uh, you want to keep costs lean because if you're spending all the money marketing, you're not going to have any profit to show for it. So I've taken that to heart and really put it into practice. Jason, what drives you? I've always been motivated. I've always tried to be the best at everything that I do. But right now, my my driving factor is, is my family. I'm happily married, have five children. And I just want to provide for them and provide a, you know, a life that, uh, that will be good f- uh, for them and enjoy life, take vacations. And my other passion is my team. My team's become my second family. And I do this, yes, to make a profit, but as I'm learning these things and implementing these things that I've learned from other top agents, I'm able to provide success for agents on my team for my team members, and I, I really get excited in helping others reach their goals. So I'll actually sit down with my team members and have them write out their personal goals. So number one is my family. Number two is actually being able to, to help someone else grow in their life, whether it's personal goals or whether it's business goals. So that's really my passion, and that's kind of what drives me. Jason, why have you been so successful? You know, I think success is is not owned it's rented and every day you need to wake up and do something to earn that success so uh, i still feel like i'm fairly new at this this whole real estate business i feel like i have a lot to learn and i think a part of that success comes from 
knowing that I don't know it all, uh, you know, I'm not the best in the world at real estate, but I have a willingness to learn. I have a willingness to learn from a new agent. I have a willingness to learn from anyone. So if you stay humble and just keep learning, I think that's a huge part of it. But again, I, I honestly do feel, you know, that there's a lot of other realtors out out across the United States with larger teams and better teams. And so I have a lot to learn from it. So that that's kind of what keeps me moving forward and keeps me working. And part of that success is, is making those phone calls on the days that you don't want to, you know, getting out of bed the days that you don't want to, and keeping a focus on your goals. You need to have a why. Why do you want success? Because if you can't identify the why, you're not going to get up in the morning to make those phone calls. You're not going to do the things that are hard. I really enjoy real estate. I love real estate, but there's certain things within the, every business that people don't like to do. So you have to have that why to overcome that. And I think if you find that why and you focus on it, it's going to make it to sh- easier. It's going to make it easier to show up every day to do what you do. Jason, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? The first thing I would tell a brand new agent in the business to do first is to immediately assemble a list of everyone they know, everyone that they can put into a database system, and to not spend a ton of money. There is, at every turn, someone that's trying to sell a realtor or something, and I see a lot of new agents that are trying to start out on their own get sucked into to spending hundreds and thousands of dollars a month to buy leads that are worthless. Take the time to sit down and list everyone you know, put them in a database, and even if you're starting out, you don't need to spend money on these high-end softwares or you know these fancy CRM systems. Use Outlook. Use a spreadsheet. Use something to put it on paper and then create a plan to follow up with the people you know to let them know you're in the business, let them know you're there to serve them, and just kind of start hitting your sphere of influence. And if they don't have a lot of people in that sphere of influence, start meeting people. Get out in the community. If you know, if you're if you go to church, you know, don't be afraid to let people at church know that you're in real estate. You know, invite them to to uh, to lunch, uh, stop by their house, whatever it takes. Those are all low cost items that just take your time. And I find that a lot of agents, they have a lot of time, they just don't have a lot of funds. And so that would be the my number one advice would be to start with something that's low cost, that's something simple to do, and it's going to have the highest level of return. Jason, when you first got started in Colorado Springs, you moved there, you teamed up with your dad, but he made a requirement that anybody that he already knew was already in his sphere. How big was your sphere of influence when you started? You know, that's kind of what I did when I started. I made a list of everyone I knew, and honestly, when I when I filtered out all the leads that were already in my father's database or all the, the clients in the, the sphere of influence... I probably was left with about 75 to 95 people right out of the gate that I knew I could market to without, you know, crossing over and, and marketing to someone that was already in my father's database. And I've just grown it, grown it from there. And I, like I said, I've, I've had my database as high as 750, 800 people and um, just pared it down. So at first, I guess my advice would be for a new agent on a database is, you know, when you're new, don't be as selective. When you get to a, you know, a comfortable point where you can build it up to two or 300 people, then start paring it down at that point. You want to have as many solid people as you can. But if you're new, you, you know, if, as long as you talk to that person, you've had a, a face-to-face meeting with that person and you have their permission, 
put them in your database and then track them. And if they're not responding, then yeah, eventually take them off. But you want to keep replacing people in your database until it becomes a source of revenue for you. Do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Absolutely. I, I owe the majority of my success to organizations like yours. Again, I was introduced to Star Power in 2004 from Brian Macker. He drug my father and I there, and it just opened my eyes to see agents. You know, we thought we were doing well. You know, when I was teamed up with my dad, we were selling, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 homes a year together. And, you know, you, you show up to a conference where there's, there's agents and teams selling 300 homes, 400 homes, 500 homes a year, and it just got us excited, and, and uh, implementing these ideas has changed my career. So, absolutely, I'm a huge fan. You know, some people, even my dad, will call me an education junkie. Um, I love to go to seminars. I love to listen to CDs. I've always got something in my CD player in my car when I'm going to my next listing appointment. I kind of grasp onto whatever I can and then take from that information what I can use and kind of tweak it to my system. But absolutely, I would say that's probably the main factor in my success. Well, Jason, I've come to the end of the interview. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about that we haven't addressed? I started a neighborhood garage sale in the neighborhood that I was living in at the time. In the, the, the neighborhood's called Old Farm. I actually, I was born in Colorado Springs, and I actually grew up in that neighborhood as a child. And I moved away to go to college. And when I came back into town, I purchased a home in that neighborhood. And from an, an interview I listened to, they had an idea to start farming a neighborhood and organize the neighborhood, do a community garage sale. So I really, uh, you know, put the rubber to the road. I started adding an element to it. I think that would be a catalyst to the event, and I was excited about this particular cause. And I decided, let's team up with the neighborhood, do a neighborhood garage sale, and raise money for the local children's hospital. So we started putting together flyers, or I did. It was just me at that time, starting to advertise for a neighborhood garage sale. And I started out small because the neighborhood, right now it's grown. We've done this for 10 years we mail out to 1,400 people that live in the neighborhood. And when I started out, I picked the core area of the, of the neighborhood that I wanted to focus on strictly due to my budget. And we mailed out to about 700 homes, and that's grown to about 1,400 homes. But what we do every year is we send out a registration form, and it has, again, my lender helps me with this, my picture, logo, information about the garage sale, and a registration form. They basically... Uh, fill out the form on what their address is, what are the main items they're selling, and we ask them to make a $15 donation directly to the Children's Hospital and send that to me. So we don't charge them money as far as a profit or a way to curb some of the expenses of the event. It's strictly to Children's Hospital. So I pay for the postage and the printing out of my own pocket. Then what we do, this is what makes it different from any other neighborhood garage sale. We actually produce a directory with people's addresses and the list of items they're selling, and we sit there at the entrance of the neighborhood and we hand them out. And as we hand them out, we ask the patrons of the garage sale for a donation to the children's hospital as well. So we've been doing this for 10 years. I started it 10 years ago, and I've had a couple different lenders, but the lender I work with now has been sponsoring it for seven years. We also have a home inspector that kind of sponsors it to help defray the costs for the mailings and the postage. And we've raised over the 10 years we've been doing this, we've raised well over $10,000 for the Children's Hospital. But every year, I, I receive anywhere from two to six 
listing leads or buyer transactions every year. And when I first started doing this, I was door knocking and I really wanted to build up a farm because I hadn't built my spur up. So I started the first three to four years just door knocking, getting face to face with everyone in the neighborhood that I could to promote the garage sale. And through that, I earned quite a bit of business in that neighborhood. Now, over the years, I probably have not done as much face-to-face as I, sh- as I should have in that neighborhood, but we're still generating this year. I'm going to have over $20,000 in commissions from that sale this year, and we do that the first Saturday in June. And we usually get about 400 people through the neighborhood for the garage sale, and we usually have over 60 to 75 families that actually participate in that garage sale. And how much money have you been able to raise for the, the charity? We've averaged about $1,000 a year, which it doesn't sound like a lot, but over 10 years, it's, it's, it's over $10,000. And again, it was just a, a small donation. And the best part for the neighborhood is I've also arranged with Salvation Army. They don't, they don't normally pick up on Saturdays, but part of the reason a lot of people like to pay that donation, number one, is because it's going to the local children's hospital. But number two, at the end of the garage sale, whatever is not sold and they don't want, they just push to the curb and we've arranged Salvation Army to come around and just pick it up and haul it off for them for for free, basically, if they make that donation to the children's hospital. So Salvation Army is excited because they usually fill up a 30-foot truck. The children's hospital usually gets about $1,000 and we've created a lot of goodwill in the in the neighborhood. Thank you for sharing that event. Jason, do you have any parting words you'd like to give to people listening? Well, I would say, you know, be humble. There's always something to learn. And stay educated. Think The markets are shifting. Markets are changing. You need to pay attention to what's going on in your community with statistics. You need to pay attention to what's going on also with different things that realtors are doing across the country and listening to interviews like this. I, I really do appreciate your time and and know that if you just implement what others have done, you'll be successful. There's no reason that you need to invent something new. It's not hard. It's just putting it into place and and following the steps day to day and, and you can be a success. Well, Jason, you've achieved success by following a proven plan. Treat your customers well and ask for referrals. You've hired a team and put systems in place to make sure the customer experience is exemplary. Then you initiate your systematized, consistent, semi-monthly marketing plan that results in repeat and referral business. You called your sphere of influence list down to the people who support you and your business, thereby reducing your costs and improving your follow-up with those that matter most. You have a profitable, successful model any agent should duplicate. Thank you again for being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who is a young mom who sold 213 homes worth $51 million last year, 50% from past clients' sphere of influence and referrals. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. 
and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.